Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Uh, for Hotel Analyst subscribers, uh, the editorial team uh, arranged around the table here deliver daily news, a weekly perspectives and uh, analysis of what's going on in the hotel investment landscape around the world. And uh, for you listeners, we deliver uh, thoughts on three of the perspective topics each week. So arranged around the table with me are Andrew Sankster, our editorial director, and Catherine Dogrell who is our Perspectives Editor. Uh, and the three topics... Well, before I start on the three topics we're going to go through this week, which are Citizen M, uh, what's going on in Ireland, and the latest with goings-on with Google, uh, just to say that if you like to take issue with the opinions we express, you're welcome to join in a little debate with us on Twitter, as at least one of our subscribers did this week. Uh, so first off, we're going to kick off by talking about the hotel brand Citizen M. They've just received a major investment uh, into their business this week, which will help them them grow more quickly and it's come from Singapore. So Catherine would you like to tell us more about Citizen M and their new investor? Yes so it's very exciting this is one of those deals that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to be done and now it has been done and it's terribly exciting because we forecast it back in January which means it's the best possible type of deal they could have done um, and they have added GIC who of course we know have been working with um, APG on the launch of Archer Hotel Capital or as we like to think of it the former host hotels portfolio in Europe. Um, so yes exciting times and alongside two of the um, founder members that means they'll be getting a huge pot of 750 million euros with which they will be able to take their prefabricated delight all over the world. Um, they recently expanded into China and they're looking for some more Asia-Pacific Asia action. So find your Citizen M's here. Fun days for real estate. It's interesting, Citizen M, in terms of what it is and what it isn't. Um, so uh, there's speculation that oh, maybe they'll go into management or they'll go into franchising, and I, they're just not that sort of a company. And if you if you look at their websites, they they describe themselves primarily as a real estate developer, and indeed that's where the bulk of their value in this company is. It's in the real estate component. So they're talking about two billion valuation. Um, for GIC to come in at and most of that's tied up in the real estate and this is what really sets uh, Citizen M apart from its hotel operator peers is this vertical integration this tie up and they bring an owner's eye to hotel operations and I, I think they've been very innovative over the sort of 11 years they've been been running properties and they've done a number of things which are sort of industry firsts and they've certainly embraced um, so they've been online booking mobile booking they're ahead of the curve with that in in terms of the the back of house they've uber efficient minimizing space so they have just-in-time deliveries for their laundry and other other sundries they need to, to keep their properties running and this means of course in back a house and the on property um, they, they need to have, devote less space to storage and they can stick another hotel room in and talk of hotel rooms of course they were among the pioneers of shrinking the size of rooms to enable more to be fitted in but at the same time delivering what matters to guests which is decent public spaces and very nice public spaces very upscale public spaces tiny rooms relatively but very very pleasant um, hotels to spend time in despite 
having tiny rooms um, and the, the technology piece as well in terms of having quick checking quick checkout all automated but with people on hand if if you need it uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff and they're continuing to innovate as well and um, the, the latest innovations uh, you look at Bankside in London where they're having a go at a bit of co-working see if that's see if that will work for them um, but you know they're prepared to try things and give it a go um, and I'm I've been consistently Im- Im- impressed with them the one thing I think which has surprised me is how long it's taken them to get to the point they're at now I thought I thought they'd have got there a bit quicker but I think finally they are poised for liftoff they have a development team in Europe they've got a development team in North America and a development team in in Asia and as any body involved in real estate knows it's about boots on ground on the ground and understanding what's going on locally and they seem to have that now in place so they can deploy this extra capital they've just raised um, very effectively I think. Before we go on let's just briefly mention uh, the Hotel Operations Conference 2019 if you're involved in operating or managing hotel properties then this could be an event that you should be at it's happening on the 22nd of May 2019 at the Montcalm in London's Marble Arch and if you'd like to find out more about uh, the program and book yourself a delegate place then uh, hop along to hoteloperationsconference.com to find out more now we're moving on to look at uh, what's going on in Ireland. Uh, Catherine's been having a, a word with some of the people in the hotel market who, who are active in Ireland. Um, just at, at the point when uh, a, one of the Bloomberg reporters is issuing dire warnings that uh, the certainly on the, the residential property side, uh, the market in Ireland is once again looking very peaky. Um, but uh, Catherine, is the same same worry cast across the uh, hotel space or not well i mean i think there was a there was a time in ireland where everyone owned their own luxury golf course <clears throat> and um, and this became as you can imagine something of an oversupply issue because not everyone needs a luxury golf course but i think lessons have been learned people are always very eager to look for another bubble that's going to pop in ireland and um, this is coming in sort of two different directions we saw a big big year for transactions last year with the tifco deal um, and a big big year for supply coming onto the market and several of the domestic hotel people have said it's very difficult now to go into markets like Dublin and um, they're very expensive and the, the risk of oversupplies is obviously an issue um, but we spoke to CBRE there and they seemed very happy with the idea that this was just catch up from those terrifying days of luxury golf uh, courses and that the market could absorb it certainly in the centre less so in kind of secondary and tertiary locations but um, there's still a great deal of interest um, we're expecting that obviously the Conrad deal is due to close and bump start another year of exciting uh, interest and there's lots of overseas players coming in obviously Brexit's on the horizon but there's money coming in from Asia and money coming in from all over the place looking for decent solid returns on investments so um, I think everyone's always looking for a bubble and looking for an oversupply problem but whether it actually exists uh, remains to be seen see how the rest of the years play out they've had a couple of exceptional years um, and obviously times will become a little bit more sober but whether we're going to see the kind of days where you could pick up 14 luxury golf courses for the cost of a pint probably not here yet and of course, the uh, head of uh, the Tourist Authority was quoting the Irish Times this week, uh, declaring that uh, Dublin needs a some large hotels of perhaps up to one thousand bedrooms because they're missing out on a lot of conference business. So uh, oh, he didn't mean someone. that we're missing out on a lot of uh, tax from our increased VAT. Then 
<laughs> well, possibly that too. But, uh, he's certainly suggesting that uh, Dublin's got much further to travel in terms of attracting conference business and uh, therefore needs some big really big hotels. Yes, of course it's not just conference business, it's this devious thing they've done where you can um, do pre-clearance for the US in Dublin. I've done it myself and it's so insanely convenient that um, I really don't see why you wouldn't do it all the time. Um, And um, kind of on that front, I'll be interested to see what happens after the wow air collapse to the business in Reykjavik to make a giant deviation in another direction. But um, they've done very well in in Iceland, positioning themselves as a hub and a hub where you could break your journey for up to however long it was, up to a week or up to two weeks possibly, Um, which has been great for expansion there. Not so great for over-tourism, but super for building hotels. And whether that falls by the wayside, I should be interested to see. In the meantime, there's no sign, of course, that Ireland is going to lose its um, <clears throat> pre-clearance because that's a different thing entirely. But um, things like that, good way to make business. Maybe, I think. Um, I, I, the word I'd use to characterise the Irish market is volatile. Um, <laughs> the, 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 it's boom and bust time. And partly this is a reflect, reflection of the scale. It, it, it's, it's, it's still a small market. I mean, look at Dublin, it's less than 20,000 rooms. It, you know, you compare that to the 150,000 plus rooms in London. Um, it, it, it's a very, a very different um, beast, really. And I, I, th- I think what happens is if you look at, say, Premier Inn, um, they're planning on adding two and a half thousand rooms in Dublin. Well, that is going to have a huge impact on supply, and it doesn't take many shifts like that to to have a dramatic impact. And you know, that if the Irish, if the Irish government is talking about having a you know a number of one thousand um, room um, hotels in Dublin, I think that's going to create a huge oversupply issue as well. And there's also this the economic performance which is has unfortunately does seem wouldn't necessarily say go to bust but it's certainly gone from boom to sort of very uh, uh, mediocre um, so from being the the strongest growing economy in the EU in 2017 the last quarter sort of very marked slowdown in the, the Irish economy and that is a lot of that is brexit related unfortunately and if there is a, a bad brexit um, Ireland is the one country which could suffer more than the UK and obviously if we, we get all of these these fears we've been having um, about not being able to ship anything to the UK I mean Ireland's the next stop after the UK so they're going to get even a worse deal than the UK from that perspective so I think there's there is a potential um, nasty bump ahead but I, I think that depending on you know take a view on brexit but um looking more broadly across the economy i think we are we are at a point of a slowdown i don't think it's not 2009 all over again uh, that's absolutely true um and I, I think people are as always with these trying to fight the you know fight the last war and that is not that is not where we're likely to head I don't think this time around in terms of real estate oversupply um, I mean back back in in the mid 2000s one of the big issues is that uh, the the Irish government were encouraging people to build like bilio in terms of giving them tax relief and all this kind of stuff and we haven't got that going on this time around and in some ways you know, with the VAT increases, the Irish government is doing all it can to damp down um, hotel demand. So, uh, you know, I, I think it, 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 volatility is still there because of the scale, um, but I think it's going to be more muted. I hope it's going to be more muted 
than we saw sort of 10 years ago. So on to our third topic, which is the news that Google has added vacation rentals to its hotel search function. Catherine, what does this mean and who's actually using Google to find hotels or indeed vacation rentals these days? Well, indeed, people. I see, I hear people use Google <coughs> almost all the time. But they're not an OTA, and it's important to remember that they're not an OTA at all points. And they're not going to become an OTA. They have no aspirations in the OTA direction. But they have added vacation rentals. And, uh, and a few weeks ago, they added some other nice things as well to their um, Google hotels. But they're not an OTA, and you should not be thinking that that's the direction that they're going in. Um, so the interesting thing about this is that um, a few weeks ago when they were going in that direction, we were all wondering what it meant for the OTAs and whether they were likely to be frightened. And now it's interesting to wonder what this means for Airbnb, which of course is uh, almost in many ways a much more classic, straightforward platform. If someone steals its crown and steals its inventory, that's it, it's done. So, hmm interesting times for Airbnb. I'm sure they're not quaking in their boots just yet. And Google insists it's only trialling this with a limited inventory, you know, because it's fun to do interesting interesting things, isn't it? And certainly they have no aspirations towards becoming an OTA. I think that's the, the message that we need to take from all of this. <laughs> yes, I do everything but take your money, I think, uh, um, Google. Uh, that's the distinction why they are not an OTA because the actual final bit of the contract they'll do everything and drive you right through to to actually being able to book your room and then at that last moment just flip you over to someone else who takes your money and therefore your contracts with the whoever's you you're actually whoever's taken your money and so that's the OTA bit and they're not an OTA because they've done everything up to that point but not taken the money I think the interesting piece with Google uh, here is why it's taken them so long to, to get into this market. The news of this broke nearly two years ago that they were trialling this. Why, why has it taken them nearly two years to get a product out to market? It's not the kind of speed of light which all the, the dot-com people like to um, brag about. It, 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 it's more sort of hotel-like in terms of its speed um, take, to take that long. Uh, and I, I, I don't... Also, uh, the, the other thing which is weird is, is why it's only really uh, our third-party intermediaries you can book on with this. Why aren't they aggregating um, all of the vacation rental properties themselves? Surely the role of an aggregator is to aggregate. And Google doesn't seem to be taking on the job of aggregation. Um, it's really, it's just aggregating other aggregators, which is a bit of an odd one. Um, the other point I'd make on on this in in, in terms of the the evolution of when uh, this takes on what Catherine mentioned in terms of Airbnb. I think Google does see Airbnb as a significant competitive threat. If Airbnb succeeds, uh, there's a big challenge to the performance marketing income Google receives from the OTA. So the $10 billion or so that Google gets each year from, from the, the major OTAs uh, through performance marketing and probably a whole heap more cash coming from other, other players as well. Uh, it, with Airbnb, they don't spend anywhere near that um, amount on on performance marketing and instead what they're doing is aggregating supply and then selling that on to the consumer whereas the traditional OTA model is to aggregate demand and sell that onto the supply. And I, th I think what's in the challenge here for Google is how do they make money out of Airbnb if, if 
punters are coming straight to the Airbnb website and Airbnb is investing its marketing cash in in more traditional advertising channels above the line advertising posters TV that kind of stuff rather than in the the performance marketing piece um, so it's a whole bunch of stuff the other other thing um, I think is in Catherine's news report uh, worth mentioning is just what the industry lobbyists are up to so i mean so uk hospitality et al um, are again having a go at the intermediaries painting them as the bad guys and i just wish they'd get off this um i I just don't think it helps anybody um they they mentioned for example rate parity well you know, you point out actually rate parity was introduced by hoteliers in retaliation to the OTAs. And half the time, well, nearly all the time, hoteliers have forgotten this. Uh, it happened back in 2003, IHG and a number of the other hotel groups got together and said, look, you've got to stop um, undercutting us and you've got to agree to sell rooms at the same rate as we've got them online. Um, and that's the rate parity and it was the, the OTAs readily agreed and now apparently it's a it's a massive problem for the hoteliers um, and I, I think all of this this lobbying is really doesn't achieve a great deal um, and often exposes hoteliers uh, for bad practice as well because some of the stuff which they talk about in terms of websites being confusing putting pressure tactics on you can also find them um, on hotel websites so uh, there's a th- few things you've got to be a bit careful with with with, with uh, this lobbying tactic and I think uh, what I'd like to see is uh, a bit more of industry coming together and talking uh, jointly to government and ta- ta- tackling the actual bigger issues which we as an industry have with government rather than this sort of internal fighting and taking that to government which just makes us look um, a bit silly i think in the eyes of government next week we're going to take an early easter holiday uh back in a fortnight so for now goodbye